Coming up on the Men at the Movies podcast, we enter into the Planet of the Apes extended universe with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. It doesn't matter how utopian you think your society will be, someone will always screw it up. When we use fear and anger as motivation, we turn militaristic in our approach to others. And when busyness blinds us to the needs of those closest to us, it can lead to treachery and betrayal. Get your hands off me, you filthy ape! And join us as we discover God's truth in this movie. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story. The story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name is Paul McDonald and joining me is Caleb Butler. Hey, Caleb, how you doing tonight? Hey, how you doing? Doing good. <laughs> <laughs> sounded more like Jersey. <laughs> uh, fair enough. <laughs> so, that was not uh, intentional. <laughs> <laughs> how you doing? Uh, how you doing? So uh, I met uh, Caleb. Well, I just met Caleb about 45 minutes ago, but we've been engaging over email through uh, Troy and Stacy Hooker. So, Caleb, how do you know the Hookers? Yeah, I've known their family for a long time now. Um, went to church with mom and dad and then uh, met Troy and Stacy not long after that. And then we've just you know, grown in our relationship with each other over the last couple of years, just uh, becoming better friends. And we did some projects together for Troy's book series, uh, making some book trailers. And that was a lot of fun and yeah. uh, kind of retained that uh, communication line and that relationship ever since. Yeah. Just based off the, the time that we've got to spend already, I'm super excited both about the conversation we'll have and hopefully other conversations we'll have in the future. Maybe we'll get your buddy Anthony to, to join us next time. He, he sort of bailed and for probably, I think, a reason that many people will be like, how can you talk about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes uh -huh. and find some <laughs> deeper themes and stuff? Because that's basically what Anthony said is like, I watched it. It's whatever. You guys have fun. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It, I think he just like he saw it a long time ago and he was like, yeah, I could probably talk about this. And then he rewatched it and he was like, not a huge fan. <laughs> and I don't blame him. I, it's hard to talk about something you don't aren't particularly passionate about. And so uh, don't blame him at all. It's all good. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get him on. We'll let him pick next time. <laughs> yeah. Totally fine with that. <laughs> so talking about this movie and I went, I didn't go all in cause going all in would have meant I would have like gone back into the, I would have watched all the movies, but I didn't, I watched the first one. I watched the, the dawn. I watched the rise of the planet of the apes. Mm -hmm. And then I watched the dawn of the planet of the apes. Yeah. So, which I typically just like shorten it. I just, I always call it like rise, dawn, and war because it's a it's, lot of words. It's such a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mouthful. <laughs> so, when, uh, when we got introduced, we're going back and forth over email. Why is it that dawn was the one that popped out? That you're like, I really want to talk about this movie. Yeah. I, uh, it is kind of funny starting at, uh, Typically, if you start a conversation, you usually start, you know, number one, start the very first one, right? Um, <laughs> right? For me, yeah, it's kind of a weird, like, yeah, let's start at number two. 
Uh, <laughs> in a weird sense, it's a movie that shut me up. And, you know, as because these came out a while, I wouldn't say a while ago, but they they weren't. I mean, the when Rise <laughs> came out, I wasn't a huge fan of the series. Like I had seen the Charlton Heston movie, mm-hmm. but I didn't have an appreciation for it. And so when I saw Rise, I was like, oh, OK, it's a it's another I didn't. I wasn't registering it as what it was or the time period. I didn't, I wasn't looking at it in a, um, in an analytical context. Um, it was just a movie. Yeah. A movie bunk monkeys. Right. And <laughs> when the second, when the, when Dawn's trailer came out, I rolled my eyes. I was like, really another one. This did well enough to <laughs> warrant <laughs> another one. Right. And, yeah. I so I didn't I actually didn't have any intention of seeing it. I was like, this doesn't look interesting to me. It's not Star Wars. I don't want to watch it uh, <laughs> because this is not what I want from sci- sci-fi. I want spaceships and lasers, mm. not m- monkeys holding spears. Because that for me didn't seem like a sci-fi. Uh, but now I'm realizing that I was an idiot. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. It, so afterwards, I mean, I saw the trailer. I was like, oh, it looks cool. Um, it looks okay. Yeah, and eventually I I don't remember the reasoning why I went to see it, but I went to see it, and I went to see it with a friend, and I walked out of the movie, and I was like, that was incredible. And so part of it was that my expectation was blown out of the water because my expectation was very low. <laughs> that helps. But Having yeah, a low bar. So that up. helps. But um, yeah, it just uh, it kind of blew away my expectations, and then just like. And the artistry behind it, it's one of those movies that it gets better every time you watch it. And you can see something different every every additional time you watch it. Which, it, in my book, that's a great movie. Um, and so, it shut me up. I was like, this doesn't look that great. And then it ended up being really good. And now I'm looking forward to the future sequels. Kingdom. Hopefully they're good. <laughs> Yep. So I want to I want to ask you something. I want because yeah. you, you mentioned something. You're like you said, uh, and I can't remember the exact thing you said, but the the sort of the recipe for what makes a great movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for you, what is that kind of secret sauce that that you can go into something being like, man, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is going to be good, but you walk out and say that was a great movie. Yeah. Um, well, the recipe is different for everyone. Um. Based on what your interests are and, you know, what are you looking for in a movie? For me, I I have a wide um, ranging taste. I like to see different things. I like to try new things. And for me, um, I like I'm a story centric person. I'm very um, writing focused. So in terms of like story. I need it to have a good story. I need to have good characters. I need the characters to have a great character arc. Mm-hmm. And just, uh, so, yeah, I need, I need that kind of stuff. But I also, I like to look at it in all form in all facets of the art. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a camera nerd. I love cameras. So I like to look at the technology they used and the um, cinematography. The, is the story told visually mm-hmm. or is it all dialogue? And, mm-hmm. That's something that's huge for me is like, can this, I mean, and dialogue's not wrong. It's not, it's, it's fine. Exposition is great. Um, if you know how to do it, like Quentin Tarantino is the master of exposition 
and he does it great. But there are certain movies that it's just like you're telling the story to me instead of showing it to me. Yeah. And this is a visual art form. It'd be different if this was like an audio drama or a book. Radio show. Or a radio show, right? <laughs> um, but this is this is a visual art. And so you need to accommodate all facets of it. And then the music. I love to listen to movie soundtracks. It's always fun to like listen and see you know, how it accompanies and co- uh, complements the, the director's vision. Um, and then the acting, of course, and the directing yeah. style, the choices made there. I mean, every, I mean, I like to look at every single part of it and appreciate the work that went into it. We've talked a lot on, on the storytelling and, and especially the character arc. Matthew Dick says the best stories are the ones that have a, a, a transformation or transformative or mm-hmm. revealing. But I, I can't remember what it was. My wife and I watched something and I got so aggravated afterwards because like, they're all the same people. I just spent two hours watching somebody make, <laughs> and they're they're all the same. Nobody changed. Nobody sort of understood the, the ridiculousness of their mistakes or uh, they didn't realize anything. They're just the same person. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was frustrating to me. And, but I've discovered, as you said, you know, sort of the recipes. I don't, this movie, I would sort of label as a tragedy. I tend to like the comedies, mm-hmm. the the happy endings, the redemption arc. And, but this one, by the end, and, and probably with most of these post-apocalyptic movies, you, there's no real happy ending. No, it's just like, it's on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, Especially with the, I mean, they had the intention of making additional movies after this particular movie. Yeah. Like the first movie, and that was another thing, like the first movie had like a happy, sad ending. It wasn't like, right. it wasn't like good ending in terms of like everything worked out. I mean, there was consequences. The world was never going to be the same, but there was this beautiful moment with um, Caesar and William. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's the guy's name. And uh, played by James Franco. Indeed. And so there's this beautiful moment at the end and where they kind of, after everything happens, they reconnect and they have this um, realization that, you know, things have changed and they have to go their separate ways. It's not a happy ending, but it's also, I mean, it's a warm, heartfelt ending. Whereas Dawn takes a completely different approach <laughs> and it's more dawn is more connected to what would eventually become war of the planet of the apes and uh they lead directly into each other um one leads directly into the other and so the events of dawn you know it's a lot and it's just like one thing after another it's betrayal and um misunderstanding and desperation, and the, I mean, there's a, these are all a bunch of themes we'll talk about, I'm sure, a little bit later. But um, yeah, it's just like the, this is the consequence of our actions, and now we have to live with it. And that's something that, um, with the dialogue at the end, this is that's something that's cemented in this is that. Um, um, and why am I drawing a blank on the main the, the character's name and gone? Malcolm. Malcolm. I wanted to. Jeez, I couldn't think of the guy's name. <laughs> I just saw this movie the other day. Uh, I'm terrible with names, unless it's a monkey, apparently. Uh, 
Malcolm is like, you gotta go. They've called the army. They're they're gonna come down in force. And and Caesar is like, no, we're gonna stay. This is you know our fight. And Malcolm's like, it's gonna be war. You're gonna you don't understand. They're gonna they're gonna come and try and kill you. And Caesar's like, I mean, to paraphrase it a little bit, Caesar's like, this is I mean, apes apes started this war, so apes have to fight it. You know, we're gonna fight the war. There's no there's no avoiding this because wherever they go, they're gonna they're never going to be safe. Right. And it even goes back even to the, the first one where uh, Maurice, I can't re- who's the big fat face. Um, right? orang- yeah, the orangutan. That's Maurice. Yeah. Where he tells Caesar when he's in the, the shelter, man doesn't like smart apes. In a sense, they're like, oh, they need to be put in their place. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you see uh, with a lot of the attitudes. Uh, even, uh, you know, Gary Oldman shows up and and his last words are, I'm saving the human race. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think the, the reason, one of the reasons I think we like these apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic type movies is because they do reveal something that's going on now. It's just this, and this attitude that they have is, we can't live together because the the resources are scarce. So one of us has to live, one of us has to die. We can't live in harmony, mm-hmm. even though there's there's elements that want that. And it sort of reminded me of the Old Testament mm-hmm. in that the Israelites kept sort of trying to work it out. But what we just see is that we as people are just incapable of doing what God says <laughs> yeah. and we will continually wander off. And and then, so we had to send Jesus and then that changed everything. And it, yeah, it, the Israelites were confident that they knew what they needed. And so that's why they asked for a King. Yeah. And so they got a, a complete lineage of Kings that uh, went on for generations and every single King was not good. I mean, every single king had their flaws. And so that, I mean, God was like, all right. I mean, you want an imperfect leader. Mm. Here you go. <laughs> and and so, you know, the first two kings, we had Saul and David. Mm-hmm. And as as the lineage continued, as, as the kings, you know, mm-hmm. all the stuff happens, there's a thread that you had mentioned in our conversation before, this idea of diminishment. Like they did have some good kings as they went down, but nobody was as good as David. Like David was the you know, man after God's mm-hmm. own heart. That mm-hmm. Probably established the the largest boundaries of of the nation mm-hmm. of Israel. But as they went, it did. Each king was was worse, and even the ones yeah. that tried to follow God never achieved what David had achieved. Even when they rebuilt the temple. The ones who had seen the original temple grieved. They wept. Everybody else, everybody who hadn't seen the original temple was celebrating, mm-hmm. but the ones who knew the glory of the original temple were were weeping because it just was such a pale replica of the 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 big thing. Oh yeah, and and even I mean even David and a lot of people who don't know, but even like people that um, view like view Solomon. I mean David and Solomon. We're not perfect either, and they struggled. I mean, David obviously had his um, his lust issue, 
and then that whole story. And then he reconciled with God, but he, I mean, what he did was forever going to, you know, be a part of what he did. Um, and, uh, then his lineage went on to completely divide Israel into two countries, <laughs> to two right. nations, Judah and Judea and uh, Israel. So let's sort of set the scene uh-huh. and then we'll sort of dive into some of the scenes. So even going back to one rise, James Franco's character, William, he's, he's trying to cure Alzheimer's. Uh, John Lithgow's playing his dad. Great great actor, great mm-hmm. portrayal of somebody who does have Alzheimer's, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they're injecting chimps. One of the reasons that I'm guessing they use the chimps is because our DNA with humans is very similar. Mm-hmm. And uh, they inject this stuff into this chimp who's pregnant. She has birth to the, the chimp that would be called Caesar. And James Franco's character, Will, takes the takes the chimp home, raises him, becomes sort of, he even calls him his father until he gets of age. And really that, that first one is about that relationship between Will and Caesar. Mm-hmm. And it is a, that moment that you mentioned at the end, it was a very, like when your kids grow up and leave the house, it's, that's sort of what that moment felt like. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, the purpose of this movie was to really establish the reasoning for why Caesar is different from other apes, what makes him so unique, which then goes to play a part in uh, the second movie. And so we see in the midst of something ugly, like experimenting on animals. And that's kind of the dark side of what William's character is, is he's a researcher and he's using animals to further that research to help humanity he does bond with, you know, one of the animals that he was experimenting on. So you see kind of a weird uh, reversal there um, and it ends up becoming like a father-son relationship, which you so you see Caesar didn't have the same upbringing. He had a very human upbringing compared to other apes. And so there's a part of Caesar that is very human, very humanized. And so that's why we can, you know, why we can level with his character and we can empathize with his journey, mm-hmm. which is interesting in how he has, an, uh, when Caesar sees the cruelty that man is capable of, he does have, a change of heart, which then has another change of heart in the second movie. So he has like two changes of heart. <laughs> um, but he but again, starts there's to that transformation, right? <laughs> exactly. That's part of his character. Uh, his right. character arc is that like, he only was ever exposed to one person. He was kept isolated from the world. He was shielded from the world by that window, which becomes a um, symbol of his house. If that is the right word in the second movie, but that window with the diamond um, shape was like his um, shield from the world. He didn't have any context of how cruel people could be and how they could look upon him as an animal. And so he had a father figure that was good, but that was it. And so when he was eventually um, exposed to the outside world, 
it was a harsh, harsh um, uh, reaction and um, reveal for him. And so he he saw the worst, the literal worst of humanity. Maybe one day Tom Felton will get a uh, a happy yeah. a, a hero role, not a dislike right. role. <laughs> I know. And so he, <laughs> so we see a very uh, different form of humanity that's cruel and doesn't care about him and takes pleasure in um, his misery, mm-hmm. you know, spraying him with a hose in the cage and talking down to him because they don't, they just think he's a dumb ape, but he's actually quite intelligent. And then as Caesar gets more intelligent, he starts to see that maybe apes are better than humans. And so that's what leads into the second, because he leads this revolution of apes um, against and to escape their captivity. And in the process, and I don't think this is something that Caesar really thinks about or is aware of. Um, but like when he released that, I wouldn't, it's not medicine, but like the compound that the, yeah. the, the gas that made all the other apes um, capable of intelligence. He, I mean, he unknowingly unleashed the, what would become the pandemic for the simian flu. Right. So like in, in, I mean, in, in a way, I mean, and, um, and they ploy to um, give his fellow apes a better life away from the cruelty of man. He doomed mankind. Well, wasn't that actually when the, uh, what, what was that dude? The lab guy got, a, got exposed to it and then he went home and then he coughed on Will's neighbor. Yeah. Uh, and that's all part of that same yeah. compound. Yeah. So, but it was, he like, was, I mean, so yeah, he's not in like, like I say, he's not like completely like this isn't like premeditated. It's right. like, but he was, I mean, slight, like indirectly responsible. Cause like, this is the stuff that was composed from being experimented on. And then he released it to help the other apes. Yeah. But people, no don't people respond around, to but it. they don't react yeah, well to it. They don't, unless they're immune, which we find out in the second movie, <laughs> there are people, but yeah. So like he forms this opinion that apes are better than humans which was not a problem for him because when we get to the second movie, he, his thought process is that they're all gone. They have this moment with him and Maurice, the orangutan, uh, where Maurice is like, do you think they're still out there? And eight years, I mean, eight years has passed since this, I think it was eight, it was eight or 10 years yeah. has passed at this point. He's built up a civilization and they haven't seen humans for a couple years now. And so Caesar, kind of is like, eh, I don't know. And doesn't really all doesn't really care if they're out there. As as you know, when you ask a question like that, the next scene immediately is, nope, they're still around. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> which change I mean, which f- flips that back on its head. I mean, he we see he's very strict and stern towards humans, but then has a softening of the heart again. His heart had been hardened by his experiences with them. Because I'm sure they encountered them throughout the entire time that the humans were dying off. Mm. And I'm sure it was not good. It probably just hardened his heart even more towards them. And then right. he finally they, encounters... Because they called it even the simian yeah. flu. Yeah. I mean, humanity blamed it on them. So. Yeah. yeah, and we see that in the movie how 
they they thought that that came from them. They blamed them for everyone's death. Even though we Which, saw in the first yeah. first movie how it came from a manufactured thing and actually sort of a weapon against chimps. Yeah. In the way that they were treated in the lab. Yeah, and there's a there's a scene with some dialogue in the second movie around the middle of the movie um where they're the the humans um a group of humans are around a campfire and then there's the one i can't remember his name because apparently human names are um hard for me to remember but, carver uh, carver that's what it is yes good good, good. i have wikipedia um, he, up so we're good good job he <laughs> he's kind of the the troublemaker of the group but he's just like straight up blaming them for the world ending yeah to which the doctor who uh, was part of the CDC mm-hmm. is like, no, it literally was not, it was made in the lab <laughs> Yeah. to where he just like, he completely disregards it uh, because he has this reality that he's created for himself, which allows him to think how he thinks and react how he wants to react. I mean, he's basically just creating his own reality to give him a reasoning for what he does and how he acts and, well, that's it. And we don't have any clips from for this, mm-hmm. if, if you haven't figured that out already. One, because a lot of the dialogue is kind of, it's piecemeal, but because the apes tend to communicate through sign language, so it doesn't translate great to an audio mm-hmm. um, format. But that idea of he has this idea, he has this perception I almost think it goes back to what you were saying about your approach to what makes a great movie. Mm -hmm. He has this preconceived idea and he's not willing to change. He's not willing to accept new information. He's like, no, this is the way the world is. You know, and for him, it's, I always need a gun. I always, you know, need to fight Mm -hmm. for everything. Even Gary Oldman's character is, is pretty strict. Um, He's an ex police officer. He's lost Mm -hmm. his kids. And you see, that's why at the end he's, he blows up the tower trying to kill all the apes. He's like, we can get them all in one fell swoop. He doesn't care about right or wrong. He just wants them out. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's so interesting to look at the parallels and the mirrors of each society. And this is part of the huge theme of the movie is that, you know, there's good and bad in each camp. Mm-hmm. So with, um, like Carver or Gary Oldman's character, we see, um, yeah, definitely an unwillingness to let go of the past, but their relationship with the good and bad, you know, like, um, like each, it's funny because, like, each villain, because there's multiple villains in the movie, right? Aside from like the main one, which is, um, Koba, which is he's an ape, but, uh, they start off That's, good. You remember his name, so obviously he's yeah. an ape. <laughs> he's an ape, yeah. Absolutely, right? Uh, but that, each each villain starts off good, and there's almost like a brotherhood to their respective heroes. So hmm. we have Caesar completely, without question, trust Koba. And he's like, Koba's one of his most trusted, mm-hmm. loyal apes, right? And so there's a brotherhood there. There's a trust. There's a mutual respect, right? Koba follows Caesar. Well, because Caesar rescued Koba from the lab. Exactly. So Koba respects Caesar because, I mean, Caesar led them out of, I mean, away from the humans and 
the uh, so we have that brotherhood there, right? And then we have Malcolm and Gary Oldman's character, whom I can't remember. <laughs> it's Dreyf- uh, Dreyfus. Dreyfus. I don't remember. Um, like that doesn't ring a bell for me at all. It, so. It's not mentioned very much in the movie. Yeah. But yeah. Well, yeah, that's the uh, start of the problem. Is like the first half of the movie. I don't think they even mention Malcolm's name. No. Um, you really have to listen to the dialogue yeah. to get their names, but. Um, even then, like there's a, because they're kind of like co-leaders of this human colony. And so it's not as obvious of a brotherhood, but like there's a mutual partnership there. Like they're, they're both aware of the the problem. They have to like, okay, we're running out of power. There's a need, like there's a um, a respect for each person's style of leadership as well. Like Malcolm is much more diplomatic and Dreyfus respects that and gives him a, a chance because they both re- realize the uh the plight they're in and the desperation that they need to get power i don't know why they need power right yeah that was that's sort of the big MacGuffin for the movie isn't it the yeah, we need power think, we're about to run out of gas we need it so we don't devolve which i think is part of that yeah devolve into animals which i think is the theme of <laughs> we the don't want to become like, like animals we don't want to become like apes which is another theme of this movie is like the the longing and like the they are trying to prevent their um, the people they're responsible for for reverting back into animalistic mm. um, e- like even the apes like they yeah. have the code of ape not kill ape because Caesar's like we are better than that we can we don't have to be animals Humans yeah that's the what same way. what he, what what they're Caesar superior. says later in the movie is mm. he's apologizing to his son for Coba. He's like, but Koba did. He's like, no, my problem was trusting him because I yeah. thought apes were better than men. Exactly. So it's it's cool to see the and like and throughout the movie they see through and even like Caesar for the longest time doesn't it, it takes literally Koba shooting him to <laughs> right? see through Koba. Yeah, it was like it had it had to actually like he just kept on trusting Koba to stay loyal and to stay a good ape. Right. And Dreyfus isn't as crazy of a change as Koba would be, but like even Malcolm and Dreyfus don't see eye to eye. Malcolm doesn't want to kill every single ape in the tower. He has spent time with them. And Mm -hmm. so he understands like there, there's a society here and there it's, I mean, there's a beauty to this. Like he sees the beauty of Caesar's society that he's built. Yeah. Dreyfus doesn't have that context. Dreyfus only knows what he knows. He's, he's acting on instinct and he's not thinking he knows that there's no humans in the tower left. So I'm going to bring the tower down and we're going to take out the enemy and we're going to go back to the way things were. And and this is why I think this, we talk about these, the storytelling aspects and we see Koba is unable to get over his trauma, yeah. his hurt from the past. He's like, no, humans hurt me, so all humans are bad. Yeah, he we, he had the exact opposite of an upbringing. Right. Um, as Caesar. Right. All he knows is, is trauma and pain and hurt at the hands of humans. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that, you know, Dreyfus, it's the same thing. You know, when he looks at his two boys who are obviously gone – and sort of blames the apes. He's only concerned, like he doesn't care about the fact that he would wipe out all the apes just to get to this 
hydroelectric dam so they could have lights and dance and music. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying those things are bad, but you know, he's worried about connecting to the outside world. He's like, we need the power so we can connect to the outside world and see if anybody else is out there. He's going off of instinct again. Right. Like, that's something that, you know, um, someone that like a police officer, like he was would, you know, safety in numbers. He's trying to rebuild. Mm-hmm. He's trying to, you protect know, bolster the, their yeah, forces, protect, and protect serve, the right? people he knows, protect and serve. Yeah. And that's the way that he sees is, you know, and he sacrifices himself at the end. And the radio operator who just happened to be sitting there, he's like, wait, no, I didn't, Unfortunately, I didn't sign up yeah, for this. He's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a sign. I mean, he, he kind of loses it at the end. He loses cool. And he, I mean, it's a, it's desperation again. It's, I mean, he's trying for, he can't see the apes for anything more than being animals and a danger and a threat. Mm-hmm. And that's really all he's seen because he hasn't, he hasn't met Caesar. He hasn't met the good apes. You're right. The only context he has are, I mean, the only context with Caesar that he has is when Caesar made his uh, show of power at the beginning. Yeah. Stay out of the return woods. the backpack, basically saying, stay out of the woods, leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. Which was quite threatening when he marched his entire ape army down. Yeah, that was which impressive. Which was quite a showing of power. But like, so Dreyfus has that from Caesar, which is kind of very maritalistic. Mm-hmm. Militaristic, geez, I can't talk. That's the um, word. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> um, it's that, and then he has Koba. And honestly, some marriages are very militaristic as well. Yes. So it could be maritalistic <laughs> and militaristic. Is that even a word, maritalistic? <laughs> it is now. So. It is now. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Uh, but yeah, so he experiences Koba, which is his worst fears. After seeing the army, he sees the army again and it's his worst feels re- uh, realized. And yeah. so as far as he's concerned, there are no good apes, right? Only good and, humans. And if you've stuck with us this long, thank you. Cause you're like, yeah, this is great. It's a sort of a, I saw somebody sort of say it's a great big summer popcorn movie to watch. You can sort of turn off your brain. You sort of have to, it's some, because we're talking about apes that communicate. They're a bunch of monkeys, right? (laughs) Damn filthy apes. Yeah, exactly. You know, this movie came out in 2014. Yeah. And we've had a lot of, lot that went on in the world since 2014. We had our own pandemic. And many of us act. As far as I'm aware though, there's no ape society lingering in the woods somewhere. As far as we know. As far as we know. This one, this one, they they didn't say any of that. This one was like the bat flu, not a, not a (laughs) simian flu. So, (laughs) So, but, but what I want to look at is when you look at how people react with the incident, like the incidences on airplanes, like people were losing their minds and getting shown off, escorted off the airplane with the the run on toilet paper we had in Charlotte there was you know a, a gas pipeline and there was a run on gas and and the the gas companies are like we actually haven't had any problems with delivery of the gas our problem the reason we're running out of ga- of of gas at the gas stations is cuz you guys have gone berserk and are mm-hmm. loading it up he's like production's not a problem it's your your the demand is outstripping what we've 
done, which is hasn't been hampered at all. So the, again, that you see that it's the fear, desperation, hatred, fighting for what you believe is right, fighting for this and and being very aggressive, as you said, being very militaristic in our reactions. That's the word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we see that with both Koba and uh, Dreyfus and, and mm-hmm. Carver to a lesser degree, because Carver's just sort of a one-man army that doesn't last very long. Yeah, he's kind of like an initiator. Um, I mean, he's a plot device. Yeah, he's a match. But he's, but he, he's used thematically in a very well, I mean, a really good way. He represents the paranoid, trigger-happy, really quick-to-judge mm-hmm. type of human that would, I mean, that would be the, I mean, he would be the kind of person that would just completely dismantle any diplomatic relations between two societies because he can't get over his prejudices or fears. Because, like, they had a really good thing going. I mean, they could have, I mean, if Carver wasn't around, I mean, think of the possibilities. I mean, Cobra probably would have screwed it up. But yeah, I think end, I think like, both of them, and, and that's, I think that's what they're trying to say is mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how utopian your society will be. Someone in it will screw it up. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that's part of the theme of this. One, of the, There's a lot of themes in this movie, but one of the <laughs> themes is like, there's a, I mean, these societies marry each other. One, they may be, you know, one might be ape and one might be human, but they're not so different. You know, there's good people, there's suffering and there's loss and there's emotion, but there's also, um, there's a lot of bad people as well. And that's something that's a hard lesson that Caesar learns, but Caesar is dealing with so much. He's juggling being a leader of the society. He's juggling trying to be a good father. Um, He's feeling like he's failing at that for sure. Right. He's failing at that with his uh, (laughs) oldest. He just hasn't hit me. He has a newborn now. He has to look after, which is Cornelius. And then he has a wife that is sick Mm -hmm. and he can't do anything. He doesn't know how to, he doesn't know how to, they're not advanced enough to the point where they know how to help her. And so he's juggling all this. And then all of a sudden humans enter and here we go again. There's new, new information and he's just kind of information overload. And so he's doing his best. Right. And it's just like the world's changing faster than he can process. Yeah. Which doesn't happen for us ever. Right. No, not at all. <laughs> Well, and that's what he says to Koba. Why, when Koba's sort of accusing him, why are you helping the the humans? Why are you doing these, these, you know, he's going around pointing at his scars. This is human work. This is human work. Such a great scene, too, because like it, it, Caesar doesn't see a problem. He's like, yeah, just let them do their human work. They're not going to yeah. do anything. He doesn't have, he doesn't see it from Koba's point of view. And Koba's point of view is very bitter mm-hmm. and full of hatred and tragedy there. But like, he kind of Caesar continually writes off Koba's suffering as something he just needs to get over. Yeah. And he uses, I mean, he keeps on putting Koba in his place, which just builds up that hatred instead of trying to understand and talk to Koba. I mean, and Koba probably was in, uh, incapable of change. Right. But we see that every time that Koba speaks up and out uh, against Caesar, 
Caesar puts it down in some way. Like he, you know, the first time where he's like saying human work, like pointing out all the scars and he's like questioning Caesar's choices. Caesar, all he does is just stand up and just uh, assert dominance immediately. Right. Doesn't say anything. He just asserts dominance at that point. Koba, you know, he falls in line uh, reluctantly. But I think you're right. I think that yeah. was the moment their relationship broke. That's the moment that because when Caesar basically, instead of doing the right thing and listening and having that empathy that he was lacking for so long, he just immediately went into leader mode. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and I think that's a valuable, like that's like you said, that's a great moment. And mm-hmm. for us, when we have people sharing their wounds, you know, especially in a faith-based community, be like, yeah, well, all things work together for God's good. God is good all the time, all the time. Mm-hmm. God is good. And I'm not, that is true. And just like it was true that Caesar was the leader and what he said goes, but that didn't help Koba. It's like what, what that did was basically put, Koba said, well, you think humans are better than me. You pick the humans over me. You're aligning with them instead of me. When that may not have been true, but that's how it appeared because of how Caesar responded to to him at that moment when he's like, this is human work. This is human work. Yeah. Well, Caesar's also never had to deal with insubordination. They've always, he's always been good to them. Everything that Caesar has done has been to benefit the apes. And so the moment that they don't understand why he's making a decision, they start to question him, which again, isn't wrong. There's nothing wrong with questioning authority and making sure that this is the right choice. And any leader should, um, mm-hmm. should welcome perspective to make sure that they're, what they are doing is the right thing. Cause it's easy to do something and have tunnel vision and not realize the effect it could have. And so, um, yeah, so this is the first time he's ever had to deal with insubordination and he does not deal with it. Well, he immediately, right. Uh, puts it, uh, puts the, uh, Koba in his place and diffuses the situation. He thinks it's the end of it, but he makes it worse. And that's that's such a good point because so many times when I'm in, I'm, I'll be I'll make a decision, and my wife will ask me a question, and I'll get super defensive. I'll just shut her down mm-hmm. because I'm like, oh, you're you're questioning it, or you're making me feel dumb because I was like, oh, that was a really good question. I wish I would have asked this four hours ago before I spent this money or did made this choice. <laughs> and. She's like, all I'm trying to do is just ask. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to know. And is like, I'm not questioning you at all, but the way that you respond shuts down any conversation. It makes me not want to ask you any questions at all, which isn't great for relationships. That's how that's how you get the militaristic maritalistics. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought that that word would come into play later on? <laughs> it's gonna, we're gonna see it. We're gonna see it on a. Good. On a, the late night talk shows here in a couple weeks. I hope so. The maritalistic. It's the militaristic marriages. Yes. Love it. And so we sort of, you know, everything breaks down because Koba, Koba feels betrayed. Oh, yeah. Big time. A few months ago, my wife and I went and saw Jesus Christ Superstar, which again, mm-hmm. I, I thought was great. Thought was really interesting. Fantastic. The problem was it stopped on Friday. It didn't. 
it didn't show Sunday. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a problem. It's like, that's not the whole story. It's, but the whole idea, there was a song in there where I think it was like, we see Jesus and Judas singing and Judas basically is in his song is accusing Jesus of betraying him first. Because when Judas signed up, he had this, these ideas about who the Messiah was mm-hmm. and Jesus is not meeting that image, that picture like no, I thought we were. You were going to save us from the Romans. You were going to, you know, re- you yeah. know, talked about the re- the oppressors. This is what mm-hmm. the Messiah is supposed to do, and you, all you're talking about is dying. You're you're making weird decisions. I don't agree with the marketing plan. Mm-hmm. And in that disappointment, in that in his feelings of betrayal, he took that and betrayed Jesus, just like we see Koba does, because he feels betrayed, and so he betrays back. That's interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting parallel. I like that. It just came so like, to me. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so Koba, I mean, so really the first betrayal was, I mean, initiated by the hero of the movie. Yeah. And it's just not, it's not, it doesn't register with him as a betrayal. I, I loved how you said, here's all the things Caesar is dealing with, feeling overwhelmed. And when you're, your friends questioning you and then saying, look, I, here's my wounds. Here's my trauma. Mm-hmm. Our response is, I don't have time for this. When a little time spent there would have prevented a lot worse outcomes down the road. Absolutely. And I think that's the interesting, I think that's the thing that Caesar learns from Malcolm is like Caesar's dealing with all this stuff, right? Malcolm is in a similar boat. Malcolm is like the mirrored image of Caesar in this movie. Mm-hmm. Malcolm is dealing with, I mean, his society is on collapse. I mean, his hum, the human race is pretty much dying. And then you've got yeah. um, Malcolm's wife is gone. So he has a son who grew up in a world that, you know, pretty much grew up in a world that no kid should ever have to grow up in. He's seen things that no kid should right. ever have to see which is something that Malcolm says, like, I don't ever want to go back to the way it was or to how I don't ever yeah. want to have to deal with what, how, what we had to deal with because he saw things that he, no kid should ever have to see. He saw the animalistic part of the human race. Mm. And uh, so he's dealing with that. He's dealing with a kid that doesn't understand really what's going on. It's just kind of trying to figure things out. Right. And then he's also dealing with a kid, not wanting to really associate with, Malcolm's um, new love, new, new wife, new, yeah. new wife, or whatever their relationship is. It says wife and the the probably wife. I don't know if there's anybody. It says Malcolm's wife on the Wikipedia. Interesting. So. so they found someone ordained to, to marry him during the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Dreyfus is probably ordained. Uh, <laughs> no, he's a police officer. He's not a not a boat. Oh captain. no. <laughs> Um, so (laughs) it might've been Carver. It says he was a water worker. Maybe that, uh, maybe he was close enough to a boat captain so he could, he could perform the ceremony. (laughs) Well, you, I wanted to, to hit on this because really in the first, first episode Mm -hmm. in the, in, in rise, what we see is Caesar's loss of his innocence. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, you know, Malcolm's son. It's taken away. It's not just loss. It's like his innocence is taken. Right. 
It was been stolen, yeah. and he. And it's almost like he's trying to restore innocence, mm-hmm. which doesn't really happen. No, it's gone. Not not through our efforts, no. anyway. And and I think Caesar sees that innocence a little bit in in Malcolm and his family. So Malcolm's dealing with all that. He's trying to get you know he's trying to deal with the, the politics of dealing with the apes, whom don't really want to associate with humans, understandably. And so he's trying to mend that. He's dealing with stupidity from Carter uh, Carver because Carver <laughs> is literally undoing everything that Malcolm does. Right. So he's dealing with that, but also trying to deal with the science of getting this um, dam back online to get power. And then he's dealing with, I mean, he's probably dealing with all the panicking people. He's dealing with Dreyfus as a co-leader of this establishment. Um so he's dealing with stuff, but Malcolm is doing much better. He's handling it well. He is, I mean, mm. you see how, he's, how he talks with uh, his wife, how he talks with his son. There's things that they're not, I mean, they don't know everything. They haven't solved everything. Nothing's, I mean, they're figuring it out. But Malcolm is doing the best he can, and it shows. And he, I mean, he's reacting well to it as well. Um, he's carrying it well. And he's treating people respectfully as well. He's not pushing people out. Um, he's having civil conversation and like good, like healthy conversations with his wife, even though she's struggling with her relationship with his son. He's being supportive of that. He's being supportive of his kid, all while juggling apocalypse and Caesar. So I think Caesar has found a human that he can learn from. Yeah. And, and even we see that scene where Caesar goes back to his old house and there's a picture of, of Will and, and Caesar. And he basically tells Malcolm, he's a man like you. He's a good mm-hmm. man. He's, he's remind basically. So for Caesar, he reminds him of his father. Absolutely. The best of what humanity has Who, to offer. Right. So Malcolm rekindles Caesar's, like faith in humanity, which eventually gets pushed aside and extinguished in the next movie, but not entirely. <laughs> but and that's sort of the final contrast I want to make as we as we kind of turn for home. This idea that that Dreyfus wants the power, wants the the control of the dam. And he says, we've got a whole arsenal of weapons. We can firepower them out. We can shoot them all. We can mm-hmm. kill all the all the apes. Yeah. And the reason that Malcolm doesn't want to respond with war, he's not worried about losing. He's worried about the cost. Before their relationship deteriorates, Dreyfus is obviously got his solution and he is perfectly willing and would probably prefer to do his solution, but he also understands Malcolm and what Malcolm is capable of. And so he does, he gives Malcolm a chance. He, um, similar to how Koba is going to still fall in line for a bit with Caesar, Dreyfus, mm-hmm. even though Dreyfus is probably the actual like leader of this colony um, and probably outranks Malcolm, he's respectfully letting Malcolm do his thing. Um, even though he could just easily go out and solve all their problems by wiping them out. He eventually says, like, if you don't figure this out in three days, we're going up there and killing every last one of them, which is cold hearted. But 
it's kind of a weird like contrast between I'm going to murder them all for the good of humanity, but I'm going to let you do your way first and try and resolve this peacefully. Well, and he he's closed off to the new information. Remember in the beginning, there's no way an ape spoke. There's no way they had an organized society. There's no way. And then they come and, and show in force and he actually hears Caesar speak and he still doesn't. He's basically, they're just apes. We'll yeah. just mow them down. At, which at the end, he basically, yeah, at the very end, he still he still hasn't changed. He still hasn't changed his perspective. He's like, they're animals. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get I'm, bored, I'm blowing them up for the, yeah. the, to preserve the human race. And when we see the, the image of Koba in that attack on the town, like we see apes dying all around him and he looks at it and he doesn't care. It's such great imagery, and this goes back to like the just the visual effects team and the the, the masterclass in visual effects, which just lends itself to Koba and the um, the acting there with all the mocap. Koba's facial expressions change drastically once, like after the whole fire, like which is a beautiful scene where we see yeah. Koba finally rise to full on villain <laughs> after he lights yeah. literally lights his home on fire and lies and kills his friend or Mm. attempts to kill his friend. We it's assumed he's dead at one point and leads the apes to war in the midst of this battle where apes are dying, where he, he takes weapons from fallen apes. He pushes an ape off a horse, jumps through the fire and he's smiling. Yeah. He looks like he's having the time of his life. This is what Koba was bred for. He, I mean, this is his moment because all he's known is pain and suffering. And he's finally getting his chance to give it back in force. Yeah. Right. And so he looks like he's just, he's having the time of his life and he doesn't care how many humans or apes he has to do to do it. Yeah. He's reverted back. He's fully reverted back to his animalistic ways mm. and he's loving it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's well said. And then in the outcome, the outcome we see at the, the the very end, the conversation between Malcolm and Caesar, as, as you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. about you got to leave. They're coming. He's like, yeah, apes started this war. This is not going to be – they're not going to forgive this. War is upon – it reminds me of that – the scene from the Lord of the Rings series. War is upon you whether you want it or not. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is like as Malcolm is trying to understand Caesar's reasoning for staying, you know, the whole like the old saying of like they started, but we're gonna finish it. Well, Caesar doesn't say that. He says half of it. He says apes started it. Um, but he doesn't say they're gonna finish it because he has no idea what's gonna happen. Right. At this point, he's just it's it's a shot in the dark. He's just getting he's he has to roll with the punches. I mean, the apes made their bed and now he has to, you know, sleep in it type of thing. And so he doesn't know what's going to happen. And so he doesn't say they're going to finish it. He just says, you know, we're going to, we're going to stick it out. And that's why I call this a tragedy is because we see both Malcolm and Caesar and they're the people they're representing living with the consequences of their leaders behaviors where they were unable to grow. They were Mm -hmm. unable to change. And so they're stuck with this, yeah, you know, post post apocalyptic world where there mm-hmm. there is going to be a war, yeah, 
which is the name of the next movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I love that foreshadowing. It's It was drawn together so wonderfully. But even like the imagery of the movie, because like I love the beginning and end of this movie. It starts on the eyes of Caesar. Mm-hmm. It starts off a very determined Caesar who is unquestioned. He doesn't question his leadership. He's got, you know, he's got the loyalty of his subordinates and they're living a good life. I mean, they are, yeah. they figured, I mean, he's figuring it out. He's, he's built a good society. And so we have a very determined and headstrong Caesar's eyes in the beginning. And then at the end, we have this really interesting imagery of like, he's taken back his society. He's um, killed the usurper. And basically all the, the apes are pretty much loyal to him again. Yeah. And so we have this cr- uh, great imagery of all the apes are like bowing down in reverence, not in like a religious sense, but because they, the way that they show respect is like they have this, like where they hold up their hand and wait for him to like um, stroke yeah. the hand. It's, but it's a, uh, their way of showing respect and like asking for apologies. And so they're all doing that to him as he's walking through. So they're showing reverence and respect to him. And this, the camera zooms back in on Caesar's eyes, but is no longer the eyes of leader that is <clears throat> knows what he's doing. This is a this is a leader that now has to live with the consequences of his um, not only his actions but the actions of his people. And so it's a very different, um, solemn looking. But yeah, I mean, he's determined. He has to. I mean, he's going to fight for his people's survival, but it's much different context of why. Like we, like we said in the first one in rise, it's Caesar's loss of his innocence. Well, the same Mm -hmm. sort of thing happens in this one where he loses his innocence in that he thought apes could be better than humans. Mm -hmm. And what he discovers is they're not. No, not at all. And, uh, and so he's gone through so many different, um, he's, and he's learning. I mean, even though he's like the smart ape, yeah. he's hyper intelligent. He's still learning and that he's, he doesn't know everything. And that's one of his flaws is that he's not perfect. And that's, I mean, none yeah. of us are, but he, but, yeah, it reminds me of that saying of never trust a leader without a limp. Yeah, and exactly. so Caesar's limping now. Mm-hmm. And we'll see in war how he handles it yeah i'm interested in seeing because uh, you haven't seen it yet so I i'm interested in seeing it. your this weekend it's a very it's a different movie like yeah. i i like the movie a lot but it's a uh it's a different movie from dawn it's a different movie from rise and it, you'll you, i'm sure you'll see it but there is an interest and i won't spoil it but there is another biblical parallel that mm-hmm. they make and this one's a little more heavy-handed than dawn so oh, yeah. I'm interested in seeing what you, you you'll see yeah. pretty quickly. Um, but it's, I mean, it's another masterclass. I mean, in uh, special effects, visual effect acting is incredible. Yeah. That's and what's, the, what's so striking about this is how realistic the chimps look. Yeah. And they really double down. Cause like in this movie, you see kind of normal camera angles in the next movie. It's a lot of close-ups. Mm. It's like, so you're seeing, the camera really close on the ape's face. So you're seeing, I mean, you see the, in, in Dawn, you see their facial expressions, but that was a really big part of the storytelling in war was just showcasing where they're at emotionally. And so you see a lot of close-ups 
of these apes, which is really cool. And I think it's just a masterclass in visual effects and acting and not, not, I mean, in visual acting, not just yeah. uh, dialogue. Yeah. I'll look forward to it. Yeah. I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Yeah. Yeah, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on and, and talking about this movie, introducing me to this whole world, this greater planet of the apes. Uh, extended universe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I it like I said, I mean, I don't know if it surprised you as much as it did me, but like after seeing Rise, I was like, yeah, okay. And then Dawn blew me out of the water and how yeah. well it was done. And there are some people like I have I have, I have a friend that thinks that Dawn's the weakest of the three. Um I've got another <laughs> friend that thinks that war is the weakest of the three. I'm whereas I think that Rise is the weakest of the three. No no not a bad movie by any means, but I just think that stylistically it's gotten better and Dawn's my personal favorite of the three, but. And that's um, why we did it. And that's why we did it first. <laughs> <laughs> it was selfish. You see, I, <laughs> it's all uh, about you. <laughs> it's all about Caleb. Uh, but yeah, and we didn't even get through. I mean, I, I had so many notes here and we didn't, I mean, of course time is, yeah. I mean, we're restricted on time, but yeah, there's just so much to talk about in this movie. We could spend another two hours talking about all this stuff. That is, um, that is what we've discovered yeah. from doing this is if we try to talk about all the things, we yeah. sort of just skim the surface. And it's actually, we get a lot more out of it when we sort of deep dive into like two or three yeah, absolutely. themes and considerations. So yeah, we felt the same way of uh, just about all these. Yeah. And going through all these bullet points, I mean, it, would, it wouldn't feel like a natural conversation either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We don't want it to be a lecture. No, not at all. <laughs> So, uh, where can people check you out, find out what you're working on and see what you've done, that sort of thing? Oh boy. I wasn't prepared to do oh, a plug. To plug. Uh, to <laughs> no, plug I, gotta, I gotta let you plug yeah, your stuff. I mean, I, so, um, yeah. So my social media handles are Caleb W. Butler. I was fortunate enough to not have to have to do like Caleb zero one zero five seven five on like Instagram. So like luckily enough, like all my Twitter, my, which I don't use, um, Instagram, Facebook is all Caleb W. Butler, which is great. And then Elon I also, didn't give you your blue check mark on Twitter. No, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I didn't buy into that. Um, and then I also am the uh, creative director. Um, we talked about Anthony earlier on in the episode. He wasn't able to make it on tonight, but uh, um, Anthony and I co own um, a videography business um, called Magro Media. So we do bunch of different stuff like we worked with troy and stacy hooker on their book project so we do like weddings creative like storytelling video um more narrative focused um then we do we've done client-based like freelance marketing awesome and so that's mag real media yeah and i'll have all the links on our website and on the sweet show notes uh, so you can check out more about that and our website is minutethemovies.com backslash podcast and it'll be under the episode of the dawn of the planet of the apes. Right on. All right. Well, thank you. I look forward to having you guys. We'll, we'll, we'll like I said, we'll let Anthony pick next time. So yeah, this was fun. We'll I, uh, see what number two in a series he'll pick. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, yeah, I'll have to talk with him afterwards. Lethal Weapon Two. Let him know. <laughs> Ooh, that'd be great. Yeah, I look forward to this. This is fun. I'm glad that we did it. Yeah. So this has been Paul McDonald and Kayla Butler talking about the dawn, not the dawn, talking about dawn of the planet of the apes. 
I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I hope you join us next time here on the Men at the Movies podcast. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Thank you.